What's up, everyone? It's uh, me, Ethan Levy, back with another Spotlight interview. And uh, what a treat I have for you today. I can't tell you how excited I am to have a true legend of games media, John Davison, here to tell us how games get covered. John, uh, you probably recognize his work from uh, EGM, OPM, 1UP, GamePro, GameSpot, Glixel, or IGN, where he's currently the VP and publisher. In terms of working in the games industry, he's worked at Red Robot Labs, Zynga, and Network, where we were colleagues for a brief time. And John, just to tell you how much, how important your work was to me growing up, here's an issue of EGM that I keep on the bookshelf with some of my other friends, which are you know, the game magazines that kept me company as a child. Here is a Forza Motorsport 2 preview by John Davison. (laughs) But I was really thinking about it. Like, game magazines uh, are so important to uh, getting me uh, where I am. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. I bet. That's kind of the topic of this conversation. It must have been so much easier to have just one issue a month. Recent changes in the app stores are boon to mobile game developers. Now you can sell in-game items and currencies with big savings on transaction fees. And Exola just added three new features to their web shop for mobile game solution to help you level up your monetization practices outside the app stores. The three solutions are subscriptions, analytics, and promotions. Now, subscriptions are a smart add to your mobile revenue strategy. They boost game revenue with predictability while maintaining a lawyer user base. Analytics give you data, and data has become fuel on which modern society runs. If you don't know your players, you won't know what they want or how to get them to click that buy button. Analyze your data so you can create critical piece of the purchasing puzzle. Finally, promotions allow you to easily reach out to opt-in players via email or Discord and other channels to bring them to your web shop on your website. You'll be able to generate new sales and keep more profit. To find how to get started, visit exola.pro slash mobile or go to the link in this podcast description. You know, can we can we start out? Uh, just I know that uh, was a very quick background through a lot of a lot of history. Could you share a bit about your background and your time working both in games media and game development and as an entrepreneur? Um, so I started very young. I was fourteen when I started writing, and it was all be- it was all because of my dad. Wow. Um, so my dad was really into flight simulation. So my dad worked at IBM, so I was exposed to computers from very young age. I played like Space War on an IBM mainframe when I was really young at his office. And uh, he was really into flight simulators because um, he always wanted to be a pilot and then didn't do that. So he kind of got into the digital version of it. And he ended up writing about flight simulator on the Atari for what was basically a, it was sort of a very high production value fanzine. Um, and then when the Atari ST came mm-hmm. out, we were at some computer. <laughs> That's kind of what this podcast <laughs> is, a high production value. <laughs> So we, you know, we were at some computer show and I was 14 and we met with the guy that ran this zine and the ST was about to come out in the UK and he just said, hey, can you can you write? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, do you want to review a bunch of Atari ST games? Um, I can't pay you, but you can keep the games. So it was kind of like for a 14 year old, it would have been what I would, I would have spent the money on Dream that anyway. Um, so that was how I got in. And then I, I got into a full time gig partly on the back of just the fact I've been published before. So um, technically, I'm still on my year off before I go to university. (laughs) Um, I got a full-time job on a weekly in the UK called Games X that lasted a year. And then um, that was around the time that the Super Nintendo and the Mega Drive launched in the UK. So I was in the sort of early console media in Britain and then ended up running PC Zone for a few years and I was the publisher there. And then I left when I was... 25 to go to egm so then and that's kind of where the story you told kicked in so i originally came to the states for two years and that was 24 years ago and we've just just like uh you and neil young and pete holly and many other british game industry uh people i've worked with and for 
We uh, U.S. seems to be yeah. a sticky and place I think, to I mean, move initially, to. Initially, the, the pay is different here. Honestly, that was part of the attraction. And then I think you know, I I was lucky in that there was a there was a period in the late nineties where. British magazine people were quite fashionable for publishers to want to court. Um, Future had come over and they'd launched Next Gen and then the mm. US version of PC Gamer and they looked very, very different than other games magazines. And then all the other publishers were sort of like, oh, we need we need a Brit. Um, so I was I was lucky that I kind of got caught mm-hmm. up in that. And, um, and, and my gig was EGM. And I was just so lucky. The time I was at EGM was a period where it was you know, it was the biggest games magazine in the world for a while. Yeah, yeah. it says it right here on the cover, the number one <laughs> video game magazine. And it was, you know, it was doing, at its peak, probably close to half a million copies sold every month. Yeah. And, you know, I used to, it's funny because you're, you're at IGN now, and I think it's still in the same building. I used to work in that building downtown in San Francisco at a casual downloadable game developer called mm-hmm. uh iwin where i was working on games like pageant princess and poly pride pet detective wow. really you know high quality stuff and i used to listen to spend my days working on levels and design documents and listening to the one-up podcasts and the ign podcasts and really like um i don't know that that new medium at the time really filled kind of this hole of like not yeah. having any gamer friends we would go to pax and, and we'd do those things live and, uh, and people would come up to us afterwards and be like hey i have a really bad job like and i have my headphones on all day will you do longer shows because it's like you know i mean like we thought that when we did two <laughs> hours we were really pushing it but we would have people say no you just keep talking like right. we love it and uh that was you know like a lot of, of, of that was sort of a happy accident so one up yours we had no idea because back then there wasn't the the way that you did analytics on podcasts was you would count uh server requests and this was at a time where you mm-hmm. know you'd be, it would fire 10 15 20 requests at the server just to so like we were getting these numbers that were like no real bearing on reality because all it was doing was counting server requests so we had no idea what the real mm-hmm. real scale of that audience was um, and then we would show up at things like PAX and there'd be these crowds of people and we'd go to the enforcers and be like, what are all these people here for? And they were like, dude, it's for you. And we were like, what? <laughs> you. These are, these are your fans. That's amazing. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, uh, you're the publisher of IGN and I, I think I've told you before, like IGN's my number one. Yep website i probably check it after every meeting i check it like 10 10 15 times a day to be honest um it's like my go-to palette cleanser um i like sending clips you know and headlines to people if something they're working on is in the news and i really still think of ign primarily as written media that's most of what i consume but the IGN of today is, you know, written articles. Every written article has a video article in it, live streams, podcasts, live event coverage, social media channels. I was looking on the Roku app the other day on the free TV app. I was like, oh, this is interesting. What's on here? And I'm pretty yep. sure I saw an IGN 24-hour TV channel. So, like, IGN isn't a, a website. It's like a multimedia empire. Um, how how would you describe the IGN of today? Because I think it really says a lot about what uh, game enthusiasts. So that media was that is. was the sort of when I was deciding to come here. That was the thing that you know it struck me really early is that people do tend to still think of it as a, as a website, but the website is, I mean it's 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 big because it's been around for twenty six years now, and um, but there are many other parts of the business that have a larger reach. Um, so you know social for us is massive um the tv channel is called ign one it's on roku it's on if you have a samsung tv their free service has it like basically anywhere that uh, like pluto the channel is is distributed there and it's it's our videos sort of sequenced and then we run the live events and stuff there um but really when we when we kind of go out and describe ign when we're working with people is think of it as a as a media brand don't think of it as a website because you know really yeah. it's 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 audience it, it's a, it's about kind of like interacting with the audience in different ways and it doesn't work the same way everywhere um 
one of our strategies is to is to experiment with new platforms as they emerge to kind of gauge you know if they're going to hit or not so we've been we've been there very early on every major social platform and some of them kind of fall by the waysides and then some of them kind of really blossom and so with tiktok we were very lucky in that we you know we started putting content on tiktok in the very early days and we're now the we're the biggest media brand on tiktok um and you know and the, and as these things grow the sort of nature of kind of trying to break in as a brand can change so being early can be can be quite lucky but mm -hmm. you know um what we do on these different channels and kind of the challenge of my job strategically is okay the days of thinking about just news previews reviews strategy guides is it, it you, you, we can't think that way anymore and really it's about okay every day there's a bunch of ideas and those ideas need to be distributed in different ways. And, you know, the website, the primary audience of the website is people reading things and looking at screenshots. And then on YouTube, um, I mean, YouTube is television for gamers. Um, you know, if they're looking for a trailer or a piece of content and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the big kind of mind blower for me joining IGN was I'd never measured anything in billions before I came to IGN and we did 2.2 right. billion views on YouTube last year just for the year um wow. so like just the volume of of stuff going through there whether it's trailers or our shows or original content or explainers and documentaries and then the content that's built there ends up getting used for ign one the tv channel but then social is is another animal entirely right because it's it's very it's more engagement driven than views driven so if you get people to engage and interact in mm -hmm. some way then then the performance just lifts but you know, they're not all created equally. So you can take a story and there's a full written report on, probably if you think about the line of, uh, th there's a se sequence of interacting with an audience, right? And the tip of the spear is social. It's Twitter and Instagram primarily. And that's kind of like a snippet mm -hmm. of the story or a slide or just like, hey, this happened. And then the website yeah. will carry the weight of filling in the gaps. And then YouTube f carries the weight of here's that story and that video asset that supports that. Um, TikTok is a different animal in that TikTok is here's a thing about the thing that maybe isn't the thing. <laughs> and that took a long time to learn right. because, you know, we would do this programming like, uh, for example, we don't just do games. We do, we do, you know, movies and television and we would go to... Yeah, it's how I, I mean, I, I, I keep a list yeah. of movies and TV shows to watch when my wife's not around. And that list is curated 95% from and, IGN. You know, we would do these red carpet right. events where, you know, we go to the red carpet and we meet the celebrities and we put that content on various channels. And it would just constantly like just flop on TikTok. Like it was like, why is this not working? And then mm -hmm. uh, we had a few moments that were really instructive. One of them was Keanu Reeves walking up to the camera and bumping his head into it. Did like six million views, and then to and then Tom Holland <laughs> asked if the camera was turned on, and that did a few million views. And like, so what we learned is that TikTok is very right. like just goofy stuff happening in the moment. Or, or goofy stuff generally. Right. So like for us, when Trombone Champ, this, this will age the podcast in future, Trombone Champ was a big deal last week, right? Um, for us, TikTok yeah. was the platform where that really landed. Like, you know, it was just like, okay, it's about playing the trombone. It's like Guitar Hero, but also you sacrifice composers to the devil for some reason. And that just like, that resonated <laughs> really well on TikTok for us. So it's kind of every platform has a job. So when we're planning content, like the sequencing of events is a big part of it because it's not just write an article and then work out how it works everywhere else. It's more, there's an idea here and it has to live differently. Yeah, that's a, I mean, I think that's a really great lesson for everybody in the audience, all these game developers, because like uh, you have to think about marketing your game the same way. And like, you can't, I mean, this has been one of the biggest lessons of the past 10 years is that my job as a game developer isn't just about right. making a fun game. And in fact, that's, that's grown to be maybe half of the job. And the other half of the job is how do we reach people? Because it's yeah. a crowded war for eyeballs out there. And um, the same lessons you're learning at IGN, every successful game, every game that scales now is also its own media business. In, in a way, and you have to learn that exact same uh Well, that's actually uh, set of sort truths. of informed some of the way we approach 
particularly live service games because you don't need IGN to tell you tell the audience that hey there's a Spider-Man skin tomorrow because there's a news feed in the game that already does that right. you know perfectly adequately and it's you know it's the people playing the game they see it right there so you know I mean we learned this as Fortnite was on the ascendancy and that there were the things that were being treated as new news beats for Fortnite just didn't land for our audience and it was when we looked into it it's because they already knew so it's like we're not telling you anything you don't already mm-hmm. know so mm. in that situation you know my team's job is either explaining or contextualizing or showing you something that maybe you haven't thought of or it's something goofy it's like it's got to be additive it can't just be just the delivery of the thing is not enough because you know Fortnite and apex right. and even diablo like you know like it already does it for you so you know ign's job is now yeah. something else right and and i find that different i i uh i ign i mean i read a lot of games media but ign kotaku polygon are kind of mine and it's funny as i've been the more i'm an old the more i read kotaku and they're like their tone is so young Mm -hmm. and combative towards the game industry that sometimes i'm like i have you know you guys are pooping all over a monetization plan that i think is perfectly (laughs) fine and that you're gonna love like why are you so mean i don't know but uh i think i think ign's got a very fun um goofy relatable tone to it um what uh you've very interestingly you've gone back and forth between being Mm -hmm. on the media side and on the development side at places like network zynga and red robot um what are are um the lessons you've learned as you've moved you know from game enthusiast yep. media you know uh to game development what did you learn about making games that, so every time uh, i left you? the media company was actually to take a swing at the exact same idea <laughs> which was that um mm-hmm. the 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 balance of power like when it was magazines, it was basically making declarations from a mountaintop and being a tastemaker, right? It was like, this is good and this is not good. Yeah. And now that power yeah. is, is in the audience and the media's job is not to, is not to kind of like dictate taste. It's, it's actually enabling other people to express themselves. So like for IGN, it's like, here's, a, you know, here's this thing explained and then you can go and have an opinion about this, but like, and you may disagree with us, but it's not, you know, this game is good and we are the definitive word anymore. Um, so this started when I was at GameSpot in that we were toying with the idea of changing GameSpot's homepage to feel more like a Facebook feed where it was kind of like as things were happening and like where the audience juice was. And it never it never really came to fruition. And uh, I ended up leaving and I went to Red mm-hmm. Robot and then the product manager I was working with left and ended up at Google, I think. And, you know, but we, I kept coming back to this idea that community is what really drives things. So it was also why I went, so at Red Robot, we were building a product called First, which was like a sort of mashup of a social feed and a chat program around like taking the hashtag idea and kind of like these are little fan areas where people can discuss things and it can kind of auto, auto sort content into channels. Um, That was also what Zynga wanted Mm -hmm. to try. And then they just sort of lost their appetite for it as... I think happens fairly regularly at, at Zynga back in the old days. And then, and then network was sort of when Neil and I connected was like, it was kind of the same thinking, which was that the behavior shift in the last 20 years in, if you think about people self-identifying as gamers, it's, we used to sort of, mm-hmm. we, we were, we would play a game and we'd finish it and we'd move on to the next one. And then we'd finish it and we'd move on to the next one. And the new behavior is, this it's not that gaming is a hobby it's that this game is my hobby and you know and it's it's more pronounced in some areas than others but you know people that you know Fortnite and apex i think fall into this category and people that play wow fall into this category but like so because when we look at behavior in our audience and you look at what are the top best-selling games every year and it's call of duty and madden and fifa and mlb the show and mario kart it's a bunch of stuff that you recognize but then if you look at the data from a what are the most played games this year it's fortnite apex dota league of legends um you know it's it's a lot of service games where people are putting literally thousands of hours into it and right 
Yeah. We, we saw that at network, right? People were putting in our, our highest playing users in, in legendary yeah. eight to and 12 that was, hour days between playing the game and, and chatting with their guild Neil and I really connected is like, okay, if people are obsessing about a game that much, then there is no level of minutia that is too specific for these people, right? In fact, the more specific, the mm -hmm. better, which is quite challenging for a broad media band to tackle, but in a community environment, it's actually, it actually more power. That's sort of shifted, I think, and we're actually seeing some of the benefits of that with IGN in that there are, with these big games that do have very specific needs, there are certain let's call them tribes of users that have needs right and if you kind of like if you're telling them literally something mm -hmm. that they hadn't thought of then their their trust in you like goes up and it's like it's sort of like it's a big part of the of the relationship um so that was kind of i, I was never working on a game i was always surrounding it with kind of like support products but it was difficult only discord has really nailed that space and they've done a phenomenal job with it um, yeah. But along the way, what those product-focused things really like changed for me that I'm really grateful for now is being able to think like a product manager. So you can run a media business like a product, but you can't run a product like a media business. <laughs> um, and I think it's that sort of like, what are we trying to achieve? Being very goal-oriented, like and like kind of being able to break things down into achievable mm -hmm. chunks at the scale that we operate at at IGN in terms of audience, but also in terms of just the number of things we're trying to cover, that kind of very product oriented structure is a real source of comfort for me. And honestly, it was working with you guys at network and like with Neil and Steve in particular every day, they're really kind of like, that was a real epiphany for me, which that was pretty late in life for me. Like I'm 50 now. And like, I, I learned that in the last five years that like, Hey, if you operate like this, it's actually way easier. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that I bet leads to things like looking at TikTok and saying, what is our strategic yeah. objective for TikTok? Right. Why does IGN need to be one of the first experimenting on TikTok? And specifically, what are we trying to get out of it? Because uh, it doesn't have the same, you know, we can't monetize views like YouTube. Like what, what are we doing on TikTok and why? And that is, it sounds like a very, you know, something that probably comes pretty natural to me and other product manager, producer type yeah. folks and in the games industry. And it also frees you to be able to say, what can we safely not do? Because I think there's a tendency when you sort of think with a media mm -hmm. brain is that, oh, I have to be, I have to be sort of completionist everywhere. And it's like, no, the, audi the audience is actually in yeah. consuming the internet in totality. And you are like, you are just a piece of it. And you don't have to have the answer to everything, but it's really beneficial if you are an entry point into something. And then if you can keep, if you can retain people and keep them around. So, which is why, you know, um, guides, maps, strategy is still such a huge like foundation for media in that that is very, it's very task oriented for the audience, right? It's kind of, I need to know how to do this. Mm -hmm. And if you satisfy that initial question, which is almost certainly coming from Google, then then you're going to build trust mm -hmm. by reliably like delivering on that and then you can build the relationship in further where it's like okay well maybe i'm looking for something else i go to ign every day i'm going to check out their reviews or look at their news or whatever so yeah on on the flip side you know i bet you get probably just during this interview you're going to get like 100 press releases and pings mm -hmm. from different media people and game devs and everybody wants eyeballs on on their product um, what do you think game developers and game marketers need to better understand about games media and games culture nowadays? I think it's, it is understanding the, the broader landscape in that people do, you know, even big publishers, you know, I've kind of done versions of what I just told you about thinking of it as many channels and you'd be surprised mm -hmm. the number of people that like their response even people that have been doing it for you know decades i've never thought of it like that where it's kind of like maybe the best way into our audience is actually let's seed something on social like is there something we can partner with on twitter or instagram is there an asset of some kind is there a, you know a collection of images or a video that is going to pique people's interest on social because then we can gauge with with sort of a lot less effort and i mean that in a positive way <laughs> right where whether there's yeah. like some heat here and like and sometimes you get to, you can kind of riff right. in that space a little more freely 
than you know we do an article or we post a video on the website and it's kind of like oh that didn't really work so you know trailers are a really good gauge right. and like honestly if you can articulate the audience is is fundamentally quite basic in their taste structure right so if you can articulate this thing is a bit like that thing um that actually works really well <laughs> and it's not a statement you need to make as a developer but it's a it's part of the messaging if you're working with media if you can articulate hey this thing we're building is kind of like diablo but with this in it that shorthand mm -hmm. it's guitar exactly, hero right? for and it's like that shorthand actually transfers through to the audience and then that actually helps so particularly for a you know like you know game name trailer revealed doesn't work right because most of the audience is i don't know what that mm -hmm. is <laughs> but if you like but if you say guitar hero right. for band dorks new trailer or like you know like that there, there's ways of phrasing things right. that will elevate the performance in certain channels that are good indicators of if there's going to be demand for something and that's it's social and youtube honestly are the places where you get that really kind of snappy mm -hmm. response and then that can inform like on the on a sort of deeper editorial from my team is they have these you know they it, it's all performance indicators right and it's like okay well this thing it's popping off on instagram and the trailer did you know the trailer's done a million views we should probably cover this more whereas something that's just fired into the ether with no context is probably not going to perform well anywhere and that makes it a much tougher sell mm -hmm. to talk to an editor about hey this is you, you should cover my game because very often the feedback is like yeah well we you know we posted something and it, it didn't seem to resonate <laughs> right yeah it's interesting it almost to tie it all together it makes me think about the recent gta 6 leaks and like how you could use early game footage and but like normally i think of things as being yeah. so manicured such a such a manicured polished controlled message coming from bigger game publishers right like we spent you know this is the moment this is the big game reveal perfect trailer perfect demo every screenshot hands-off demo for devs right like trying to show the game in its best light possible and you earlier just told me like keanu reeves run, yeah. bumping into a camera right that plays on tiktok so it almost makes me think you know, that moment of um, un early unpolished game footage coming out, like that can be, you could take a tactic that's like, look at our derpy game, right? Th three years from release, look at how derpy this looks. And like that might get people into your world in a way that's like Babylon's Fall, the new live service RPG yeah. from Square Enix. Like you, that's the type of headline I feel like I glanced through. Mm-hmm every month right square enix is a machine that's, an the, RPG that's machine. the culture shift that social social media has really driven right which is that there's an expectation of transparency and of, of sort of honesty that the audience has with each other and that where brands have really stood out is when they try and do that manicured thing in that environment and the 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 response is usually kind of like ew whereas when it is on it i mean like we you know that right. gta story ran all week and we put a video out on friday night or saturday morning and we're like i don't maybe we're overdoing it guys like we've done a we've done something on gta every day this week and we did a thing that was like uh i think the title mm -hmm. was like the unintentional consequences of the gta leak and it was that releasing derpy footage and we've done an audit we did yeah yeah right the and horizon like, um, zero Splatoon dawn when it was just tofu blocks and yeah and, and it was like we threaded all that together as a video and it's done nearly a million views on youtube and it was like a week after the event happened and i think the audience is fascinated by kind of like how the sausage is made and and the culture has changed mm -hmm. where they don't really like super polished you know you know even the kind of like the way that press events are done now where it's very that sort of you know in, in the origin of it is apple right and now everyone does a variation of it which is very kind of a choreographed thing and the audience's reaction to a lot of that is like eh, just show me the trailer you know <laughs> right that's funny um so the, the reason i i reached out is you you wrote a piece about justin yep. roiland's high on life uh and how it stole gamescom and i thought it was 
um, a very interesting look under the hood and really taught me a lot about how IGN and other um, media companies probably operate yeah. in, in this day. And I thought it would be a great learning point for our audience of um, game developers. So just to start with, when when you have a big live event like a Gamescom or even a, a virtual event like a Summer Games Fest, like what goes into covering that live event? I mean, I know I've seen hours and hours of, of live footage and commentary and trailers and stuff from you guys. It seems like uh, really a giant production to yeah. cover some so, of those So, I mean, a big event like Gamescom and like E3 when it's really humming for us is it's a, I mean, it's a production that's hundreds of thousands of dollars. We have like... You know, we have a stage and a room and a production facility and, you know, we're usually partnering with the with the event to be able to provide that with, you know, like Gamescom with a media partner in English and German. So it's 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 a big production for us um, going into Gamescom this year. It was interesting because, you know, Microsoft were there, but only kind of. <laughs> And then Sony and Nintendo went there mm -hmm. and Activision wasn't there and EA wasn't there. So in the, in terms of like, wow, what are, what are going to be the things that really like, dr like hit at this show? It, we didn't know. And like, you know, we were talking to, you know, Jeff does ONL mm -hmm. at Gamescom and we were talking to Jeff and we're like, and he's like, yeah, I've got some stuff, but it's, it's different this time. And what was, mm -hmm. what was fascinating and it, and it, we saw it immediately when ONL started was that the games that resonated out of Gamescom were all things you'd never heard of. And it was like Lies of P, mm -hmm. it was um, the Where Winds Meet or whatever it's called, the thing that looks a bit like Genshin. And, and then High on Life was in that mix, which we were aware of because of Royland. Um, coming out of ONL... Mm -hmm. For for those who, who don't have instant name recognition, one of the two co-creators of Rick and Morty and a very distinct uh, yes. VO <laughs> actor and comedian um, who does Rick and Morty and, you know, Trevor and Trevor Saves the Universe, so, but... Um, giant nerd if, if you listen to this there's a good chance you know who Justin so there was Martin a new is, trailer for that game anyways but coming out of onl lies of p which was the thing that looked like bloodborne but had pinocchio in it was the was the top top performer coming out of that right so we were already being yeah pinocchio <laughs> pinocchio's having a real resurgence of remixing lately we've got a lot of pinocchio interpretations so that, going and then on that dune thing anyways. like there was some interest around that but like it was like, okay, what's, mm -hmm. you know, what's going to really, because usually around an event, there's, there's the stuff that you're pretty certain is going to drive it, which is usually a God of War or a Horizon or a Halo level thing. And then, and then there'll be the thing that's right. the, oh, wow, the audience has really taken to this thing. We should double down on this. And it was like, not clear going into Gamescom that there was anything like that. And what we found was that that show was really being, you know, there was largely being driven by games that Tencent owned and games that Embracer owned, <laughs> which is, you know, in, in you know, mm -hmm. which is a very large. <laughs> Collectively, I think that's 90% yeah. of all games at this but point. But no name recognition but... <laughs> on any of them, right? And then, so um, right. we posted the High on Life gameplay footage and it did okay. And then we sent one of our editors to go play the game with Justin. And we posted 25 minutes of footage and that 25 minutes of footage outperformed the trailer like 10 to 1. It did like a million views really quickly. And um, so then our social team was like, oh, there's something here. We're just going to clip some of the like, because like, I don't, you know, more context. This game, um, it's, it's sort of a, it's a first person shooter-ish. If you've ever played something like Stranger's Wrath, the, th the first person uh, Oddworld game, it's got a lot in common with that, where it's like, you know, anthropomorphized <laughs> guns that in this case are all bugs and they all talk to you um and they're kind of like swearing at you and telling you to go kill stuff and like there's a knife that's like a real psychopath that wants you to stab everyone and like so we clip these things out mm -hmm. we put them on social and they started to go nuts on instagram and tiktok and then there was another scene where the game is clearly trolling the audience about sort of violence in video games and, and everything and there's a little kid like like basically telling you to kill him and we clip this out and we're just like, okay, you know, like, you know, th this game is clearly really going for it. And that thing went nuts. The two, vi the two videos on social combined did like 12, 12 million videos or something. And then in, in, in its entirety, wow. High on Life drove during Gamescom 26 million video views for us across all the platforms that we carry, which outperformed everything else by like 10 times. 
so we were like so that what sparked yeah. that article was like why no one had heard this thing of this thing right like wh- why is it <laughs> right and it's not like trover saves the universe i mean trover saves the universe didn't right. like blow up the game world it's not like this is the first time we've gotten something that reminds us of rick and morty yeah, that wants but, to I mean, make us a, laugh a game to perform at that level for us is i mean that really is you know god of war might do that this year for us but but you know it's wow. it's unusual for a game to resonate that way and i think there are a few things that we got out of it one was the audience's appetite right now is greater than i think i've ever seen it particularly in the console and pc space in that they're so hungry for new stuff because so many sort of big games have been mm-hmm. delayed you know sea of thieves got delayed again today um you know like the, i think we've right. been tracking the 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 sort of like you know no- this just became an evergreen <laughs> episode we can just play that clip <laughs> that was rude i apologize if you're a but we're you know we're rude. tracking <laughs> like nearly 50 games that have been delayed from their originally announced release date in 2022 alone mm-hmm. so the audience is just like we just want new stuff um so you know in the case of high on life i think it was it was a combination of like just show me something cool that i'm going to be able to play this year and then really what i think it came down to was just funny lands like and it's unusual still in games to be not only funny but um funny in a way that you can see that it's funny in a five second clip like even even return to monkey island which i would argue is a more sophisticated kind of humor than high on life like you've really got to kind of experience it to kind of like really know how funny it is whereas high on life it's like rick and morty it's like you know, oh, I get it. The knife swears at you. <laughs> yeah. So the um, do you think that this level of leaning into comedy is something that other developers can learn from? Like, did we just learn that Justin Roiland is super funny and that's why, uh, you know, he Rick and Morty is so popular? Or are there lessons here that other game developers can learn about how to present their games to the public and how to use humor as a tool to, I think, to I mean, cut it's not, through I mean, Royland helps, right? And I think it also helps that Royland is divisive. Not yeah. everyone loves him. Like, some people see the fact that he does mm-hmm. basically two voices as a weakness in his repertoire, whereas his fans think it's great. So you post something of him being, like, kind of the personification of himself and... You have the people that are like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then the people that come out and say, all Justin Roiland stuff is exactly the same, which in turn brings all the people out that love him to defend him. And you just get this snowball effect of, of like social right. energy around it. That definitely helped. But he's not unique in that regard. There are plenty of, there are plenty of voices yeah. and, and writers that, that have a similar effect on people. So I think, you know, I mean, you know, I've been doing this a long time and variations of the why aren't more games funny story have happened so many times over the years and Mm -hmm. it's and it's difficult right because humor is you can't objectively product manage humor (laughs) like there is subjectivity to it right and if you if you do it uh you know takes all the uh spontaneity out of it if you if you if you take every time that somebody steps over yeah. the line just slightly out of it, you, you're like I, left you know, with this helps funny. because you know Basically. Royland is a comedian first and or you know and and mm-hmm. and involved in game second, which I think gives him an advantage. But I think it also speaks to that cultural shift that we talked about, and that is the audience's expectation of stuff has changed, and that they they yeah. want to see the the kind of all the warts and they want to see how things are made and they want to know if there's someone that made the game that's funny that actually helps and that it's a difficult yeah. line for a lot of people to walk putting themselves out there like that because the flip side of putting yourself out there is 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 it paints a target on you and like the second you step out of line yeah there's a lot of people come after you and i think a lot of people that just want to focus on making games would really rather not do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, in listening to everything so far, you know, I think some, some of the big lessons are to think about how to make your game in the modern media environment. How do you make your game visually funny and engaging 
yeah. within five seconds, right? Like how, do, as much as we all love um, Monkey Island, uh, as you said, it's a more sophisticated humor. It's not going to play in the five seconds you're scrolling yeah. by it on Instagram. So like if you really want to fine tune your product for how people are discovering media today, it's like what are the five seconds you see on TikTok or on Instagram, and is that gonna is that yeah. gonna make you stop? Scrolling? And then the other thing that stops people in their tracks right now is <laughs> and this sounds so so like but anything running in Unreal Engine five that looks like it's running in Unreal Engine five does crazy numbers. People the other the other part of the appetite mm. thing I mentioned is. Uh, people are hungry for things that justify why they bought a PS5 or why they bought an NVIDIA, you know, like 4090 yeah. or whatever. Like they want something that is showing it firing on all cylinders and Unreal 5 games, del- I mean, the game could be terrible or there's games like, you know, that, that are Unreal 5 demos that I have no idea what they're going to play like, but the trailers we've posted have done enormous numbers and it's that like, hey, this is really showing what my hardware can do. Right. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Like, I think there are a lot of um, if you have a PS5, there's a cap on how much you can spend on the hardware. But if you have a computer, I could go out and splash twenty thousand dollars between a rig and crazy graphics cards and crazy monitors. And if I do all that and then I end up playing Vampire Survivors, right, I'm going to be very frustrated. Like you want something that um, puts it to the test. Um, are there other stories similar to this high on life story that have surprised you over the past year or two that really speak to kind of what pops, um, with um the community I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it in the last year has been that, that appetite, right? I think Lost Ark benefited from that where mm-hmm. people were sick of waiting for Diablo 4. So they just grabbed onto the thing that looked a bit like it and that thing went nuts. Right. And then I think, um, Oh my god, I'm forgetting the name. The up, the uh, the other thing that Amazon did, the the uh, the the M- the MMO, uh, New World, New World, New World MMO. Well. And I think that was like you know there hadn't mm-hmm. really been a big shared experience that wasn't a shooter or a battle royale of some kind in a long time. So people were yeah. really drawn to it, and I think there's there is this real culture of games as social experience that is that is really driving a lot of conversations right now. It's the heart of the metaverse conversation. It's the heart of why things like Fortnite and Apex are so successful. It's like, you know, I know as many people that play Call of Duty Warzone as a place to hang out with their friends and chat as much as it is something where they're actively going out and shoot. I mean, I know people that play Warzone and don't really shoot anyone, you know, like they're just, it's it's where they hang, right. it's golf. You know, it's, it's the old World of Warcraft is the new golf story. Warzone is kind of that for some people now. And I think it's that it is that social shared experience that isn't there's as much of a demand for a non-competitive thing as there is a competitive thing. And like gaming leaned really, really hard Mm -hmm. into, you know, we went from arena shooters into battle royales and then battle royales kind of peaked at these enormous numbers. Um, And then what Lost Ark and New World showed was that there were other people ways that people wanted to share things. And we saw a lot of attention around um there was lost ark and then i mean lost Ark was a diablo thing and i think was it uh v rising that was another one that came out around the same time yeah v rising that was, was a big I hit recently a thing like there are certain types of games that there's this sort of like pent-up kind of need for you know right yeah and it's like as a developer when i'm thinking of what new game i want to build part of me's like well there's been a drought i mean stardew yeah. valley is a great example when there's a drought of a game like um, uh, Harvest Moon that has a big following that you could tap into. And so part of me thinks of games like Metroid Prime, Advance Wars, like Heroes of Might and Magic. Like where is the right, where is the thing that's not just the thing I loved because I got a demo on a PC gamer cover, but actually has a bunch of other people like me going, I'm really hungry for Advance Wars and Nintendo yeah. has not given it to me. I mean, Castlevania Symphony of the Night is is uh, the the number of amazing Metroidvanias are all 
kind of out of that pent-up demand for like, really, those Castlevania games on the Game Boy Advance are some of the most yeah. fun games I've ever had. And uh, now I've got and Rogue I think Legacy 2. The other too. area that we see sort of a disproportionate performance is anything horror. Horror, horror game. I mean, like we see mm-hmm. horror, horror movies and horror TV shows are popping as well. But horror games, like Resident Evil's sort of routinely a high performer for us. But then, you know, there's a lot of interest in stuff like Scorn. Which, when I first saw Scorn, I thought it was a sort of Giga-inspired shooter. But it's actually, it's like The Witness, but gross. <laughs> Um. (laughs) (laughs) it's like a gooey viscous the witness that that does not sound like a game for me i uh that's funny um what tips do you have i mean i feel i i imagine i'm surprised that you responded to my facebook messenger message because i just imagine that your inbound channels are just and and everybody who works at ign just like nonstop deluge of horrible press releases and people who want eyeballs on their product. Um, what advice do you have for those indie game developers and marketers? And like, how do we how do we get your attention the right way if we if we want? I our think games it's kind covered? of knowing. It, it, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, but it's like you got to know that it, it, like the elevator pitch has to be really sharp, right? And it's like you gotta you gotta really be able mm-hmm. to articulate why an audience will care in the shortest possible time. And sometimes it is, it is doing Mm -hmm. things that maybe a PR or marketing agency would tell you not to do. And that is, you know, like you are a unique thing, you know, don't contextualize based on it. But I think if you're talking to us, like if, if, if you, if the fastest shorthand Mm -hmm. is, it's like animal crossing meets Diablo, then you're like, Whoa, okay. You know, like maybe, yeah, we'll take a look at that. That sounds weird. Um, and I think it's that that confidence in what the core kind of like message of the of the product is that if you can communicate it really quickly, it's going to get through really mm-hmm. fast. And then I think it's um, there's a bunch of stuff that a lot of lot of like in game development you don't want to do because it's like work, right? And it's it's asset creation. It's it's good screenshots. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a decent trailer. It's gameplay footage. It's you know I think there's things like that just really kind of help. And also, like the you know, honestly, a trailer is the probably lowest hanging fruit because that's something you can put into the market. And for for our channels, because they're so big, like a lot of the the trailers just sort of like naturally do pretty well just by just the sheer scale of of the environment that they're going into. Um, and you know, and and also right now, this it's it's a weirdly quiet time you know like there's there's a lot of room right now Mm -hmm. and i think the audience is more their appetite for different and unusual or throwback or you know like not just throwback look but like hey there's a gameplay mechanic that we love from this thing 15 years ago and we're bringing it back and re kind of like rethinking it there's a real appetite for that kind of stuff so again it's communicating it and then being able to show it that really helps on it this all makes me think you know i've um uh in inside of game companies and and on you know in media and stuff talked about a b testing playable ads and like hey what if we you know all of our what if all of our r and d was just in a fifteen mm-hmm. second playable ad um and that's how we discover which of our game ideas is the right game uh, to launch on mobile and this conversation makes me think that um if I want to R&D my next game for my fledgling startup, I should be making five-second videos, uh, advertising them on TikTok and Instagram Reels, and seeing which one I can just get the most people yeah. to a landing page on. Like, literally trying to figure out what is the five seconds of visual and sometimes that can, can grab somebody. And sometimes it can be the art style, or it can um, be... I mean, remember, TikTok is inherently an audio format as much... I mean, like, the notion of an audio meme did not exist before TikTok. And, you know, I think now it's as much about the sound and being aware of the culture of the audio as well. And if you're showing something and it's like it's capturing people's attention, even if it's just like A-B testing an art style, like do we go like, you know, kind of like Rick and Morty mm-hmm. kind of like style or do we want something more rendered or it can be it can be really valuable that way. Yeah. Awesome. Um I'll end on one I think I hope will be funny, which is uh, 
Any, any, please don't do this. Any top tips for things not to do for game developers and, and uh, game marketers when reaching out to, uh, to IGN to get your games covered? Uh, I think a lot of the goofy stuff went away a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, making assumptions about the audience that maybe aren't true is a weird one that we come, come up with. Well, it's like, oh, people are going to love this. And it's like, oh, they're going to love that. Like, can you can you prove it um there's not right anything that makes you think of uh the any anything in the tone of john romero ma- yeah, wants to make you i think that kind of and i think and i think that's you know a nature of just the the channels that we live in now and you know and and social being the tip of the spear in that if you're going to do that kind of thing it's got to be light-hearted i would say that if you're going to lean into funny you need to be confident that it is actually funny because there is nothing worse than than trying to be funny and not being um because you'll get a whole other kind of press from that but then also there's you know there's cringe humor is like <laughs> I, I i think it's 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 but i would say actually the thing i would recommend you to do is make it a conversation not a pitch like the days of the pitch and the press release mm. are, are long gone like no one picks up stories from press releases. If there's an agency telling you you should put a press release out, it's it's a waste of money. Don't do it. We don't read them. Um, it's it's mm-hmm. about something you you know. If if you're an unheard of thing and you really are coming out of nowhere, even the you know this studio has people that worked on League of Legends and Call of Duty. We've heard that a million times now. Every indie studio has someone that worked on. League of Legends and Warcraft, it seems like it's not it's not a way to get noticed. It's going to be something about the product. It's being able to communicate it really quickly. Like, is it funny? Does it look weird? Does it look great? Does it look, you know, like what's the thing that you want us to attach to? Um, it doesn't need to be everything in the pitch. It's just like, you know, it's like, here's the thing that we're kind of like betting the reputation of this game on. That is some advice to take to heart. Uh, John, this has been a delight for me, as I said, as a longtime uh, reader and consumer of pretty much every uh, outlet you've worked for. Uh, I was really uh, just delighted that you came on. This was a wonderful conversation. And, and as a game developer, I have a lot to think about personally, and I'm sure all the listeners do as well, about how to better uh, reach, reach out to an audience uh, after today's conversation. Thanks so thank me. you so much for coming on. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.